I was there when it happened, and so was Beth. I was there when Unitarian Universalism slipped from its staid moorings and began to drift into some more exuberant waters. I was there when the great thaw from tradition to innovation had its start. I was glad for the fresh air streaming in, but not everyone around me was so glad. I was there when the spirit rushed through the General Assembly of the Unitarian Universalist Association meeting in Fort Worth, Texas in 2005. I can take no credit for the spirit's coming but I was quite glad for its arrival. Up until 2005, I dutifully attended the service of the living tradition at General Assembly each year. I went because it was right to honor ministers who had been newly fellowshipped or newly retired. I went because I had been on that stage not too many years earlier, being welcomed into fellowship myself. I went to this service out of respect, but not out of any desire for church. You see, the service of the living tradition before 2005 was a pretty serious affair. Part graduation ceremony, part traditional worship service. It always included solemn organ music, the same two hymns every year, year in and year out and less than inspiring words. To make matters worse, those leading the service had little life in their words or actions. We would all shuffle from element to element in the service, and we in the congregation were admonished not to applaud for our friends when they were recognized. This was church, we were told. We were to be respectfully silent. I'm probably over-exaggerating, but that's how it felt. Some ministers were still upset that this service had been dislodged from its Sunday morning slot, but I understood why. If Sunday worship at GA was going to inspire people, this was not the format. And then the musicians got involved. In 2005, A subversive little book was published, and it began to change things. That subversive little book was our teal hymnal, Singing the Journey. This is how the 2005 Service of the Living Tradition was described by Margie Levine Young in an article published in the UU World. Elizabeth Norton, director of music at First Parish in Concord, Mass., began the service by leading the celebrants in three hymns and spirituals. The Singers of the Living Tradition, a 78-member choir made up entirely of UU ministers, accompanied by Barbara Wagner, Minister of Music at the UU Church of Buffalo, New York, provided harmony. A rousing chorus of We Give Thanks by Wendy Perkins was followed by an arrangement of the African-American spiritual Come and Go With Me. Both hymns were from the new book, Singing the Journey, the new UUA resource that was released just in time for GA. Finally, the celebrants sang the familiar hymn, Wake Now My Senses. She goes on to say, After an organ prelude, variations on Thank We Now All Our God, 
by the Reverend David Hubner, Director of Ministry and Professional Leadership of the UUA, gave the call to worship. The congregation rose and sang the traditional hymn, Rank by Rank, Again We Stand, to honor the procession of participants most formally robed as they entered the arena. There it was. There was the moment. And I was in the congregation, and Beth was on stage making it happen. At the Fort Worth GA, Unitarian Universalism slipped its traditional Protestant moorings and moved closer to the faith that it is still becoming. This is not to say that there had not been lots of experimentation going on, sometimes for decades up to this point. But that service, to my ears and eyes, was the first one to begin to reject the staid way of worshiping we UUs were quite used to. It was the first service to say, there is a better, more life-giving way to gather. We still sang the traditional hymns at this service, but we did not stay in our seats the whole time. Late in the sermon, the congregation could not hold its enthusiasm any longer, and applause broke out over and over as Reverend Patrick O'Neill urged the newly fellowshipped ministers to catch fire and to preach against the evils of the day. We who applauded could feel a new day dawning, a day where the frozen chosen might be frozen no longer. <laughs> An old Arabic proverb says, once the camel gets its nose under the edge of the tent, you will soon have the whole camel in the tent. <laughs> and this is how it might feel to some Unitarian Universalists who do not approve of all of this emotionalism in worship. At the very same service of the living tradition, I was sitting with an older minister friend of mine, this minister has a sincere and deep faith, a faith that does not include standing up and clapping along with some praise songs. He grumped his way through the singing before the service and through every less-than-solemn song in every service since. This friend of mine has no time for the happy, clappy worship culture that he sees taking over Unitarian Universalism. He does not want to hear praise music. He does not want to be required to move or dance or wave along in the service. He wants the ministers to stay in the pulpit. Thank you very much. He wants to sit quietly through the whole service, taking it in silently. And we can all just imagine how he feels about liturgical dance. In many ways, this friend of mine, and he is a dear, dear friend, in many ways this friend of mine represents much of traditional Unitarian Universalism. But what he wants is not what the kids want. And that puts us all into a very natural, often generational conflict. It makes us ask, what do we do in church anyway? How do we do when the Spirit says do?
When I asked Beth what she remembered of that particular service, she recalled that in the days leading up to it, the musicians who were promoting the new Teal hymnal had been treated like rock stars. The new musical styles, including world music, upped the ante for the musicians, she recalled. The Fort Worth GA felt like the cracking open of a new way of worshiping, and the musicians were leading the way. In a moment of self-doubt, Beth wondered if she was up to leading this new music herself. It was so different, after all. And though it was clear that most of the people at General Assembly were hungry for this more expressive music, Beth recalls overhearing an older woman lament that this was not her church anymore. Likewise, UUs of color would soon wonder how they could keep white UUs from culturally misappropriating music that they understood very little. But the crack was open. We had not reached the tipping point yet, but there was no going back to the way that it was before. The camel had its nose firmly under the edge of the tent. Now remember a minute. In 2005, George W. Bush was still the president. Can you imagine George W. Bush was still the president? We had not yet heard the words Black Lives Matter. The United States was at war in Iraq. The Great Recession had not come yet. First Parish had not embarked on a large renovation project. Jenny Rankin and Gary Smith were the ministers here. Gary had preached the sermon at the service of the living tradition two years earlier when GA was in Boston. Let's see a show of hands of who was there for that sermon. A few of us. None of us could see over the horizon, and that is how it always is. But all of us were aware that great changes in our civic and church culture were afoot. As it happened many times before in our nation's history and in our church's history, one generation would supersede another Just as our Puritan ancestors gave way to new light ministers, those same new light ministers gave way to the early Unitarian Christians. Then, in turn, the great William Ellery Channing found his Unitarianism challenged by those upstarts, those transcendentalists. Both Unitarianism and Universalism were swept up in the social gospel movement of the early 20th century, as Unitarianism sped toward humanism and Universalism sped toward oblivion. And the humanism of the combined Unitarian-Universalist Association in 1961 has had to make room for feminist theology, pagan ritual, and a new spirituality. Even today, we see seismic shifts in Unitarian Universalism as we try to move beyond a white supremacist orientation to a place that better recognizes the people of color already in our midst. When Beth stood up to lead thousands of people in the song, Come and Go With Me, that June day in 2005, 
She could not have imagined that it would be the start of a transformation as great as it has been. And whether people like the new emotionalism in worship or not, it is here to stay, at least for the time being. So now that the camel is standing squarely in the tent, what are we supposed to do with it? I say we laugh out loud that it got in the tent in the first place and then go about appreciating the camel for being a camel and not pretend it's a horse or something else. There will always be room for classical music in churches. There will always be a desire for some of the old classic hymns. There will likely still be people who are interested in what a preacher might have to say on a given topic. Thank goodness. But if church does not touch people at an emotional level, they will be skeptical of its power. They will be skeptical of its ability to help them cope in a complex and unjust world. At its best, a worship service can reassure us of a few things. It can remind us that we are not alone. It can insist that what we do with our lives really does matter. It can give us courage and embolden us to go back into the world to live the words of our benediction as best we can. We all make worship together. It is only because you came to church today that this service can happen in the way that it is happening. Because the congregation makes worship happen, it too should be the body that decides how to respond in every generation. When people ask me if I am for clapping in church or against clapping in church, I say, it depends. If the choir has just sung a really big anthem like the first one they did that ends on a high note, bursting into applause seems like the natural response. And if they sing a beautiful, meditative piece, a piece that brings you deep peace, and all that follows it is a satisfied sigh of contentment from the congregation, then the choir knows that that is applause enough. The more attuned we are with what each other needs in this hour, the more we will respond well. One of the things I like best about First Parish in Concord is the way that it deliberately stands between tradition and innovation. With a rich history such as ours, we could make the mistake of being stuck in the past, of being stodgy. And with as many children and young adults as we have, we could make the equally grave mistake of being faddish, just skipping on to the next new thing all the time. Much better is an approach that breathes life and vitality into a liturgy that holds us all. Much better to find and fill a formal sanctuary with surprises among the familiar. My older minister friend is never going to clap along with an exuberant hymn. 
that's okay. And some of you are never going to like classical organ music, and that's okay too. But we Unitarian Universalists agree to go along with each other. We agree to put up with some things to thoroughly enjoy others. We agree to do when the Spirit says do, even when we really don't understand what that means. And why do we do this? Because we love one another. We do this to keep the bonds of friendship strong. We do this to respect both elders and the young. We do this because it is much better to give a little than to be stuck. Because we love one another, we meander forward, you and I. We meander forward not knowing what is around the bend, but knowing that we will not have to face it alone. Thanksgiving for the journey. So be it. Amen.